0: Turn with me to Acts 24, and if you're able to, out of respect for the Word of God, let's stand for the reading of the Word of God this morning. And uh, years ago, my mother-in-law used to sing a song that I was thinking about while Chelsea was singing that song, and you know, everything everything that happens, God knows about it before it's going to happen, and the song used to have the premise that he grew the tree that he knew would be the old rugged cross. Aren't you glad for the cross of Calvary? Jesus never committed one sin. He was incapable of sin. And yet he died the death for us. And we as a church, we spent quite a while, if you're visiting with us, talking about and hearing messages over the last many months about the new life that we have in Christ. And then I began a series about five weeks ago on the development of that life that God has given to us, that new life, and I've entitled this series Live It Out. Uh, You think about all that God's doing in your life, the world needs to see the Lord through our life. And uh, and so when you talk about our life, here's what you find is, is that you're talking about aspects of your life that only God can see. Now today we're going to talk about one aspect of our life, and it's our conscience. Everybody has a conscience. Now, it would appear some people do not have one, but God has given to everyone a conscience, and I've entitled the message this morning, Are You Conscious of Your Conscience? Are you aware of it? Are you aware of the kind of conscience that you have? We're going to take a look here from the life of one of God's choice servants in Acts 24 this morning. If you follow along with us, beginning in verse number one, the Bible says, and after five days, Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders and with a certain orator named Tertullus, who informed the governor against Paul. And when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, seeing that by thee, We enjoy great quietness, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence. We accept it always, and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. I'm going to stop here for a second. How many of you know he's kind of giving lip service right here, right? He's really trying to boast the person that he's talking to, he's talking about, talking about how good things have been under his rule. And he says, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Now notice as we read on, notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldest hear us of thy clemency a few words. For we have found this man, now he's turning his attention to Paul, he says this man a pestilent fellow a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout all throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes who also hath gone about to profane the temple whom we took and would have judged according to our law but the chief captain Lysias came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands commanding his accusers to come unto thee, by examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things, whereof we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. Then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast seen of many years a judge unto this nation, I do there I do the more cheerfully answer for myself because that thou mayest understand he says that there are yet but 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship and they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man neither raising up the people neither in the synagogues nor in the city neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me but this I confess unto thee that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. Notice that again, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. And have hope toward God, which they themselves allow that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Everybody see that last verse? Let's read that last verse beginning with and herein, all right? Here we go. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men let's pray Lord thank you for this morning for the Word of God and I pray that you would use it in our lives today help us to understand this truth this morning in Jesus name amen you may be seated this morning I will tell you as a Christian that it is good for all of us as God's children to live our lives with a good conscience. God's Word, as we see this morning, helps us to understand, as the Bible describes, the role of the conscience in our lives. In the text we see, we just read this situation where the Apostle Paul, who was known as Saul of Tarsus, but now he's a saved man. He knows Christ as his Savior. He's been living for the Lord. He's been preaching Christ everywhere he goes. The Bible records that he is brought formally before Felix, the governor, and they are making accusations against him, false accusations. The Jewish high priest, by the name of Ananias, he had employed a man who was a great orator. He was spoke very eloquently. His name was Tertullus, He actually was, uh, his capacity was he was a lawyer. And they bring this man to accuse Paul of being a troublemaker. Now, I know that, uh, maybe not in recent days, but growing up, I had many times where people accused me of being a troublemaker. Can you believe that? I mean, I thought that I had angels' wings and a halo But I had many times where people accused me of things, and there were some times in my life over the years that people accused me of things that were not true. Maybe that's happened to you. People have falsely accused you of something. Paul is standing here before these these witnesses and before these, uh, these people of authority, and just like many today, Paul's standing there with these accusations being made against him. And and even in our day today, I believe, just like Paul, there are Christians who believe the Bible is true. They believe the Bible is the Word of God. But yet there are people today who see Christians, Bible believers, as problems. They would love to get rid of Bible-believing Christians. And this is what we see in our day, people scorning ridiculing Christians for holding biblical values that believe that Christ is the only way to heaven. You say, why do we believe that? Because the Bible says so. Because God has given that to us in his word. Now here in our text today in Acts 24, the high priest, he did not like Paul. This wasn't the first time and it wouldn't have been the last that the Apostle Paul had been accused of things and maybe brought before somebody. And, and, and just like in the days of Jesus, they wanted to put an end to Paul. They wanted to silence this man. You, you, look, if you're aware of this in the world we live, if you're witnessing for Christ, I guarantee you, even on your job, there are people who are, have probably taken steps and measures to try to silence you in the workplace, Now, don't get me wrong, I don't think that you ought to rob your boss when you're supposed to be working, you're supposed to be working. But you do have something called break and lunch, and you do have time before work and after work that you can talk to people about the Lord. But there are those who would love to silence the message that we have about Jesus. And the Bible says in verse number 16 that you read with me, That Paul makes this statement, and I want you to look at it again. Here's what he says, his testimony. He says, herein do I exercise myself to always, that's a big word right there. If you're in the habit of underlining things in your Bible, he says to always have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. What a statement. Not some of the time, all the time. He says void of offense, that means empty, there's nothing there. I don't want to have anything in my life that would hurt the cause of Christ. He says before God and before man, he was living in such a way that people that knew Paul, if they were truthful, they could honestly, there was nothing that they could accuse Paul of. That's why you see him on trial for himself here, where they're falsely accusing because there was nothing to accuse him of. It just simply was not true. So, as you think about the conscience that Paul's describing here, I want you to see, first of all, this morning, the conscience as defined. Somebody said the conscience is a window that lets the light in. A window that lets the light in. I love windows. Boy, I, I can't stand dark rooms, dark places. Uh, we we uh, just recently had a hurricane, or we were supposed to have a hurricane. And I I, I remember I, I there's a couple of folks here that I usually will 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 ask them, hey, what do you think? Should we board up? Should we not board up? People that have lived here in Florida longer than I have, and and I'll tell you when when we decided to put those up because it looked like it was imminent that it was going to happen, I can't stand the house when the shutters are closed. It is so dark and depressing, you know? And And, and listen, when you think about the conscience... Just like on that slide there, you see the the light shining through that window. That's what the conscience is. It lets the light in. It's the one way that the Holy Spirit of God reveals the true condition of our hearts. The Word of God is... God's greatest tool to do this, the Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing of asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. As we let the light of God's word come into our hearts, the Holy Spirit will then use it to prick our conscience and to prick our hearts. The Word of God, as you think about it, the Bible actually describes uh, from the Word of God four aspects of our conscience. And I want you to look at those this morning because if we're defining the conscience, the Bible gives us four definitions. Notice the first one that Paul uses here. He says, uh, He, he ascended to the council, Acts 23 1, and he says, I've lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. So the first conscience that, that really is the one that God wants us to have in our lives is a good conscience. It's important that we understand that we don't allow sin to linger in our lives. Paul practiced having a good conscience, not only towards God, but towards others, towards man. Paul had a, a young preacher boy that he was mentoring by the name of Timothy. Paul actually in Instructed Timothy to do the same thing. Notice what he says in 1 Timothy 1.18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before of thee, uh, on thee, that thou might, by them uh, mightest war a good warfare. Notice holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away, talking about putting away that good conscience, he says they have made shipwreck. They have put away concerning faith. They've made shipwreck of their life. I love what somebody said years ago. He says, there is no softer pillow than a good conscience. You can lay your head down at night and go to sleep. Why? Because your conscience is clear. That's the kind of conscience God would have us to have. A good conscience. Look, can I tell you this morning that if you have unconfessed disregarded sin in your life, what it will do is it will bring a, a toll of heaviness to your spirit and it will bring a brokenness in your relationship because of what is in your conscience today. Benjamin Franklin said this, let no pleasure tempt thee, no profit allure thee, no ambition corrupt thee, no example away uh, uh, thee. He says no persuasion move thee to do anything which thou knowest to be evil. He says, so thou shalt live, and we don't use this word jollily. He says, for a good conscience is a continual, look at the word he used, Christmas. Now we all know that Christmas is a happy time. It's a joyful time. He says, if you want your life to be a good life, he says, the only way to have that is to have a Good conscience. Now, how does that happen? Through the grace of God. See, by God's grace, we're able to resist the sin in our lives. We're able to live our lives with a good conscience. And that's one way the Bible describes and defines the conscience, is like Paul in Acts chapter 23 24. Paul says, Look, I've tried my best in my life to always have a conscience void of offense. That's a good conscience. I hope that's the kind of conscience you have. But notice the second time the Bible describes, it defines it as the defiled conscience. Because watch this, a good conscience can become a defiled conscience. The Bible says in Titus 1.15, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess, watch this, they profess that they know God. But in their works, they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work, reprobate. So the word defiled, a simple definition, it means to make dirty. See, the, the good conscience, the clean conscience... When it becomes defiled, it becomes dirty. The Bible uses the word there, reprobate. This is a a conscience that once was pure. It once was clean, but it no longer is receiving the light from the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God, the way it once did. There are some people that used to be in church, used to receive the truth of the Word of God, The light that comes from, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. They used to receive the word of God the way God intended it to be in their lives, but a defiled conscience makes decisions that insist. It insists are perfectly fine, but really those decisions made by a defiled conscience are foolish decisions that are even hurtful at times. See, if we find ourselves, and I I see this happening many times in people's lives, is this. We get to the place where we used to not, because we had a good conscience, but now because our conscience becomes defiled, we begin tolerating sin that we would have never tolerated before. We'll watch a TV show that we would have never watched when we had a good conscience. We'll allow things into our lives, and... We'll hang around people that we we would have never hung around before. We begin to tolerate things that we once shunned. And when this starts to happen in a person's life, it's a mark that the conscience is less sensitive to the light of the truth. When this happens, we need to ask God for help in cleansing our conscience. You see, a, a good conscience can become a defiled conscience. Now watch this. There's a third definition of the conscience in the word of God is because if a conscience is good but becomes defiled, the next step is, notice, a, it becomes an evil conscience. Look in the, your, your notes there, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. The Bible says there, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience And our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. An evil conscience is mentioned here. Now, here's what happens is a good conscience all of a sudden quits receiving the light of the truth. It becomes dirty or defiled. That conscience that becomes defiled, if we we allow that to linger, in other words, it becomes a habitual thing in our lives. That sin in our lives continues over and over again. Then it becomes an evil conscience. We are allowing that sin to come on. Here's a good example in the Old Testament. But The man by the name of Lot. Remember the story how they made the, he made a decision. He wanted the well-watered plains. And, and, and so the Bible says that he pitched his tent towards Sodom. A little later on, the Bible says that he is sitting at the gate of the city. A little later on, there's some evil, wicked people that come into the city, and it's an amazing passage how uh, what they want, what their evil intent is, even with these men that have come into the city, these angels that God has sent, and how Lot basically offers up his own daughters to them to do what they want with them. And you think, how is that possible? Because a conscience that once was a good conscience has gotten dirty and filthy because of sin, but listen, it's not just something that, uh, you know, when sin comes into our lives, as the preacher said many years ago, Keep a short account with God. He was talking about sin. Allow the washing by the water of the word of God. Ask God to forgive you of your sin. Don't allow it to build up in your lives because if you allow it to build up, that, that defiled conscience will become an evil conscience. That's what happened in Lot's life. The disastrous choices that he made were damaging to his family all because of his conscience. He began with a good conscience, but he allowed it to become defiled. And the end of it was he had an evil conscience. But there's one more definition of a conscience the Word of God gives us. Because that conscience that becomes an evil conscience will eventually become a seared conscience. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, look at it there in your notes. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times... Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, the word seared means to burn on the surface, it means that there's a hardening or a desensitation of. Whatever it is that has been burnt. I don't know if you've ever, uh, they, they make all these weapons of torture that women use, curling irons. You know? Flat irons. You think about most women, they torture their hair, they burn it, they crimp it, they curl it. You know? I, I'm glad God made me a man. The Things that they have to do to be to be a woman, I guess. I don't know. But when I think about this here, that just like if you had that hot iron and you you touched your finger, you burn it, that that sensitivity, is, it goes away. In other words, it, you could take something that's sharp and, and touch it and it doesn't bother you as much as that it bothered you before you burnt it. That's what he's talking about here. A seared conscience has no feeling, especially no feeling of conviction. Now certainly you're in God's house this morning and that's evidence that, that you believe that God has something for your life, that you believe the word of God. But there's a lot of people that used to believe, but because their conscience was a good conscience that became a defiled conscience that became an evil conscience, Is now a seared conscience. There's no conviction there anymore between what is right and what is wrong. They used to understand when they had a good conscience. Paul's standing here before Felix. And I'm glad I can report to you this morning and you can see it for yourself that he stood there not with a seared conscience, he didn't stand before Felix with an evil conscience or a defiled conscience he was standing there that morning with a good conscience so notice not only the definition of a conscience but notice secondly the conscience being developed because is as God gives in his word the various definitions of what a conscience is the kind of conscience that we need to have is what Paul had in his life Paul was maintaining a good conscience and it is something that all of us should have in our lives. Now, along with having that conscience, look back at verse 16 of Acts 24. There's a word here. Now, I'm going to tell you before I read this word, you're not going to like it. But I'll read it anyway because it's in the Bible. Notice again verse 16. Herein do I, what's that word? What's that word? Anybody like that word? Exercise. That word's not a part of many people's vocabulary. Exercise. Are you serious? Exercise speaks of effort. I've got to devote some time. I've got to develop something in my life. Yes, you need to exercise to have a good conscience. This is something that needs to become a part of our lives. Exercise, as we know it, physical exercise, it takes time. Oftentimes you, you get hot and sweaty, it's hard work. Exercise requires faithfulness. Why? Because it's an ongoing process. You ever see somebody and you see a picture of them when they were younger and they, they, they've got all these bulging biceps and big old chest and then you see them like when they're in 60s and 70s, everything that was on the top floor is on the bottom floor now? <laughs> you know why? Because they quit exercising. How are you going to maintain a good conscience? You got to exercise. You got to work at it. You need God's grace. Because if you don't exercise, look, it's not that everything that's on the top floor is going to be on the bottom floor, it's that there's a downward spiral from a good conscience to a defiled conscience to an evil conscience to a seared conscience. Are you with me this morning? So notice a couple things about exercise. One is exercise requires a goal. You know, we achieve something by aiming at it. You've got to set some goals. Now look, we're all good about New Year's resolutions, are we not? We make those resolutions and they last four days. One week, right? So when you think about setting goals, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 9, every man that striveth, see that word there? Look at the last three letters of that word, strive. F. See that ETH? You know what that means? It's continual ongoing action. It doesn't mean you're going to get up and pump iron one day. It means you're going to lift weights every day or five days a week. Well, when it comes to a conscience, that means that you're not going to just have a good conscience today because you're in the house of God. That means you're going to have a good conscience every day. You're going to strive for the mastery. Notice if you do, you're tempered in all things. Now. They do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I, I love to watch athletes compete. Today's the day that the dolphins are going to beat the Patriots. You know? Everybody can dream. Don't take my dreams from me. But when you think about athletes, look, do they play to lose, or do they play to win? They play to win. Athletes play. To win, They spend hours and months and years training for these events. If people will go to such lengths, and they do, for physical achievements, how much more should we do what we do for that which is eternal? I mean, think about it, folks. If we put into uh, our lives for the work of God the way that they put in for 16 regular season football games, Can you imagine what this world would be like if all of us were exercising to have a good conscience? See, the goal of the spiritual pursuit of life is one thing, and that is to please Jesus. That's what our lives should be about. Well, you know how you please Him? You have a good conscience. Look what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4 1. Furthermore, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that. Ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Simple question this morning. Does your life please God? Does your life please God? Listen, that should be the goal of your life, is to please God. Well, how do you do that? By exercising yourself to have a goal, and the goal should be to have a good conscience. But notice also, when you think about exercising And developing the conscience exercise not only requires a goal, but it requires discipline. And look, uh, you know, you don't want to go into the military unless you've got some discipline in your life. Maybe they'll teach you some while you're in there. I find being in the ministry, I find being a Christian, I find being a, a husband, a pastor, that certain things require discipline. In our lives, listen to what Paul wrote to those in Corinth. I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. When I look at that and many other verses about Paul's life, here's what I think to myself is, I think that maybe Paul controlled the places that he went to. I think he controlled the people that he hung around with. I think Paul controlled the foods that he ate and the things that he drank. These were choices that Paul made by his conscience. Paul established boundaries in his life, and you know what he did? He kept those boundaries. He lived by those boundaries. He stuck to those boundaries. You know what that means? Paul had discipline, and it's this discipline that gave Paul the liberty then to minister to others because they could watch his life. And as he said there, he says, Lest I should myself be a castaway. Paul says, I want to live my life honestly before others. Look at 1 Timothy 4:16. Take heed unto your neighbor. Take heed unto your wife. Take heed unto the preacher. No, he says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, which is what we believe. And he says, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. In other words, pay attention to what we live. That's what Paul did. Paul paid attention to every aspect of how he lived his life, what he did. The Bible speaks about weights and, and sins that would, hinder our progress in the Lord look at Hebrews 12:1. wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us see not only are we to put off the sins of the flesh but we are also supposed to allow the Holy Spirit of God to control our lives. Now, that's, that's the difficult thing for some people because they want to be in control, but the Bible says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled or be ye controlled by the Spirit of God. Let the Lord have His way in your life. We are to be completely under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. And physical exercise requires discipline. My son-in-law, he's he's been going to the gym and because of his work hours, he has to go to the gym at five in the morning. Five. Which means he has to get up before five. And some mornings, I'll say to him when he comes in, did you go to the gym this morning? And he'll say, yep. And I can always tell because when he comes in, it, he looks like he's been at the gym. But if he walks in and he doesn't, look like that, I'll say, did you go to the gym this morning? He'll say, nope. He said, when I heard that alarm, phew, I just hit it and went back to bed. It's hard sometimes to have discipline every day. But when it comes to the conscience, we, if we're going to have a conscience like Paul described about himself, one that is always void of offense toward God and toward men. We've got to have discipline in our lives. Spiritual exercise requires a willingness to say no to anything that hinders us, but it is yes that we need to say that which aids us, which helps us. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs 1. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Just say no to the things that would hinder you. A good conscience is developed. It's not just... Because we want to have a good conscience, a good conscience is developed through spiritual discipline. It's developed through exercise. So the Bible gives us a definition of the conscience, and hopefully we'll have a good conscience toward God and toward men. But it also shows us how we can develop that. Now watch this. As we develop our conscience, notice thirdly this morning, the conscience on display Remember, this series is about live it out. So in our lives, what's going to happen is this is what people are going to see. Look at verse 16 again in Acts 24. He says that to have always a conscience void of offense, here's the words, toward God and toward men. This is something people see. Paul's conscience was not only toward God, but it was toward others. He was aware that God saw it, but he was also aware that other people saw it. So notice letter A here, toward God, Paul was saying this, that there is nothing between my soul and the Savior. There's nothing that is hindering in my life from God using me, from God working. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When we have a good conscience, you know what we're going to have? A pure heart. That's what the Bible says. Jesus taught that in the great sermon on the mount. God sees what others cannot. You know what God sees this morning? Right now while you sit here in this auditorium, God sees your true intentions. God knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. 1 Samuel 16, 7, The Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord... He looketh on the heart. You see, our conscience, it's on display towards God, but notice it's also on display toward men. I hear people making foolish statements like this sometimes. Well, I don't care what people think about me. You should, especially if you're a Christian. You know why? Because your life is the only Bible that some people may ever read. What they see about you and about how your conscience is on display oftentimes will tell them that that is what a Christian acts like and that's what a Christian says and that's what a Christian does. Now, that doesn't mean that it's the right thing. That just means that's what you do. See, we are the vessels that God has chosen shine for him. The Bible says in Matthew 5, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bush but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You see the importance of our lives Or as it says here in Matthew 5, our light being on display through our testimony. There ought to be something distinctly different between us and the world. As we grow in Christ, look, this ought to be evident. It's on display for those around us. When people look at us, they should see like what they saw in Paul's life. They realize here's a man that's living for God. And he has a conscience void of offense. The world knows. You don't have to tell them. The world really knows how Christians are supposed to live. They know how we're supposed to behave. They know what we're really supposed to say and not say. Say, how do you know that? Because if I have told somebody in the past that I'm a Christian and yet I do something that Christians don't do, they either look at me like, I can't believe you did that. Or if I say something, they look at me or they'll make a comment about, Woe, because they know. You don't have to tell them how Christians should live. The Bible says, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. We should desire that our lives should point others to Jesus. Hopefully that is what your life is doing. Those that have a good conscience towards others, you know what they do? This is something I learned from studying Paul's life in the New Testament is Paul had a willingness to limit his liberty for the sake of others. Now, certainly we have, we have liberty in Christ, but sometimes what happens is we abuse or misuse the liberty that we have, and when we do that, listen, here's what happens It hurts others. It hinders others. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 8. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee, which hast knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him that is weak be emboldened to eat those things which were offered to idols, and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish, for whom Christ died. But when ye sin, so against the brethren, and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh, while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Do you get what Paul's saying there? Back in Paul's day, there was meat that was offered up to idols. Now, look, we're not given over to idol worship. But what Paul was saying is that meat, because I don't, I'm not given over to idolatry, I can eat that because my conscience is clear meat is meat. But Paul says other people might not understand that. They may be given over to that, and if they see me, who supposedly is a child of God, eating something that, listen, again, is not necessarily wrong for Paul because he's not given over to that, but if they see him partaking of that, then what's going to happen is he's going to offend them because they know that that was offered up to idols. Are you with me this morning? So Paul says, look, so here's what my conscience tells me to do. I'm going to be a vegan today. I'm just not going to eat that meat today. I'd rather go without than to hurt somebody that doesn't understand. In other words, don't abuse or misuse the liberty that we have. Now, how does that happen? By having a good conscience, understanding the importance of the conscience which the Word of God instructs us. See, at the beginning of Acts chapter number 24, Paul was standing there before Felix, and they were speaking evil about him. But because Paul had a good conscience, and because Paul's conscience was being developed through exercise, through discipline, Paul's conscience was on display. Now watch this. And because of that, What did he say to Felix and those standing here? He says, you know what? I don't need a lawyer today. I think I'm just going to answer for myself. You see, when we live a life with a good conscience, we can do like Paul did here. We can be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh the question of the hope that lies within us. Look what it says in your notes here. In 1 Peter, or maybe it's up on the screen this morning, 1 Peter chapter number three, I want you to look at these verses. The Bible says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason. In other words, why do you believe what you believe? Of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having what kind of a conscience? a good conscience, that whereas they may speak evil of you, that's what they were doing to Paul, the Bible says that they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Hey, folks, that's some good medicine for all of us, that if we're going to be used of the Lord, we've got to have a good conscience. And that good conscience Needs to be, yes, toward God, but it also needs to be toward others. And Paul lived his life with a good conscience. People are, look, people are, if you live for Christ, people are probably somewhere along the way going to make some false accusations about you too. And you know what our defense is? A good conscience. Are you conscious? Of your conscience this morning. Would you bow your heads with me with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning? Some of you this morning, as you were listening to the message, the Lord may have been speaking to you about this fact that maybe you don't even know Christ as your Savior. Maybe you haven't had a time in your life like Paul had in his where he realized that he was a sinner. And that if he died in his sin, according to the word of God, he was going to spend eternity without the Lord. And the Bible gives us record that Paul was saved by the grace of God. And the Bible says, yes, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But if we repent of our sin, if we confess our sins, the Bible says, That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here today and you don't know him as your Savior, you can trust Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. He died for your sins that you might have a home in heaven. How many of you could say by an upraised hand this morning, Pastor, I've had a time in my life that I have asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin and be my Savior. Can you slip your hand up this morning? I know I'm saved. And I'm on my way to heaven. Hands up everywhere. You can put your hands down. If you could not raise your hand, this morning we want to give you an opportunity. Jesus says this simple word in his word, come. He invites you to come to him. You're not coming to a church. You're not coming to a pastor. You are coming to Christ the one who loved you and gave himself for you. If you need to be saved this morning, in just a moment we're going to give what's called an invitation and it's an opportunity for you to respond, to come forward in this service. And we'll have, if it's a lady, we'll have a lady take, a lady, a man with a man, take the Bible and show you from the word of God how you can know for sure that heaven will be your home someday. But if you're a Christian this morning, if you're saved, Here's the question, do you have a good conscience? Or has your conscience become dirty? Have you allowed sin to linger to where that defiled conscience has become an evil? You've got habits in your life, sin habits. Maybe you're here this morning and sin is built up to where It no longer bothers you to do certain things, and your conscience has been seared. Why don't you come this morning and ask God to take His Word, which is quick and powerful, and to clean your conscience, that you can live without offense toward God and towards man. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed.